All right, here we are, the Zelosophy Podcast. It's an exciting day. Not only is it our third studio podcast, we're all grown up and professional, just fought through some technical difficulties, but we got our first celebrity on the show. Uh, yeah, not Grant, you. Uh, technically our second, but the first one never aired. My friend Jason Gore, who wrote the foreword to my book, I recorded a podcast uh-huh. with him on my janky laptop in, uh, in California, and the audio got corrupted, and I never got to air it. So you're the first. Nice. Here we are with Scott Walter uh, from, from uh, the host of Travel Channel's America Unearthed, uh, formerly on the History Channel, and his son Grant, who's uh, functioning on this trip as his uh, quasi-tour manager. Bodyguard. Bag, bag boy. Bag boy. Bag boy, <laughs> bodyguard. <laughs> so uh, welcome to welcome back to Boston, guys. Yeah, and, thank you, Michael. Yeah, we. Thanks. Appreciate your making time for us here. This this could be fun. Yeah, we got some nice cold weather. They're in from Minnesota. Want to make you feel at home. Oh, so it's a yeah. nice brisk 17 degrees this morning when I got in my car. Yeah, uh, nose freezes up. It's great. Oh man, I was talking <laughs> to my neighbor. Got got me chatting outside while I went out to warm up my car and I didn't have my ears covered. In like five minutes, I thought they were going to fall off. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap it up, buddy. <laughs> so um, here we are on the Zelosophy podcast. If you've been listening, you know that my mission is to find a pathway forward for humanity. Uh, and that's a pathway forward together. How do we work through the difficulties of life and support each other and find a way forward together, right? But the reason... Um, I love having you on here. We're going to do something a little bit different today is look back because Mm -hmm. uh, in order to know where we're going, we need to know where we've been. Exactly. And that's your mission. And (laughs) when we met a few years ago and have since become good friends, um, that was something that was really exciting about uh, to me about you and David Brody is that you're writing these books and telling these stories and digging up history that we've basically been lied to about. So we don't really know exactly who we are completely. And until we do that, then I can't complete my mission of where do we go from here? Right. How are right. we going to get out of this mess that we've created for <laughs> ourselves? So um, that's why you're here, to tell us uh, that, uh, you know, there's a bunch of stuff out there historically in the United States and mm-hmm. all over the world. But you specialize specifically in the United States about uh, where we came from. And your new book is out. It's called cryptic code of the templars in america so most people hear that and they go templars in america what the hell are you talking about (laughs) this guy must be crazy well um you know i have to admit if i look back on on this whole journey of investigating historical mysteries that led to america on earth and other shows that we've done um it's it's surreal in a way because um i'm a geologist i do forensics on concrete and rock and right how this evolved into what we're now doing is is kind of amazing in a way, but actually it's it's been um, it's been a real joy and it's been enlightening for me and um, I never dreamed I'd be going down this path. But I will say this, you know, a lot of people when when you bring up the Templars, they go Templars in America. What are you talking about? And at first blush, it seems incredible, but when you just take a step back and you look at the evidence that we have found now and presented in four books now, right. it's really, um, to me, it's like obvious. It was it was like sitting right there, um, hidden in plain sight, and once you know what to look for, it's really 
it's all around us yeah. and it's an amazing history and and there's more to come yeah so before we get into the meat of that let, let me backtrack i had in my head uh part of the introduction was i wanted to introduce you as a forensic geologist because nobody <laughs> knows what that is and in my bio in my book and if you go to my website philosophy.org uh, you can see my bio and there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff in there and one of the lines is that z has hung out with everything from rock stars to geologists that's not one of the tongue-in-cheek <laughs> things i actually do hang out with geologists oh, that's right and we're proving that today so um but i was never a disposable lighter repairman so that was <laughs> that was a joke and some people take that seriously but before we get to the meat of it Tell people what, what the heck is forensic geology. Okay. Well, basically what we do is autopsies uh, on concrete and rock. And, um, you know, concrete is a man-made rock, essentially. We take right. limestone and fire it and mix in silica and, and um, you know, create Portland cement. And then you add water to that. It reacts and it gets hard. And it's uh, the most important building material in the world. A lot of people don't mm -hmm. realize that, but it is a man-made rock. But having said that, and as wonderful as concrete is, it has its issues. Um, if you put too much water in it, you have the wrong proportion of ingredients and um, it, it can fail. So, and, and in construction, that can sometimes... Um, be fatal, literally can be fatal. So right. when these things happen, they will call us and say, hey, can you help us understand what happened? And um, one of the things that I say to people, I, I, I think it's kind of funny, but it's true. And that is um, the, the concrete didn't crack or have low strength just to piss you off. It did it for <laughs> a reason. And um, I'm trying to take the emotion out of it, right? Because people get upset. Sure. They have to, uh, someone has to take the blame and someone's going to have to write a check in, in many cases. So yeah. anyway, um, if we get good samples, um, we do the process right of investigation, we'll figure it out. And, and we do. And so... Um, Don't mind me. I'm just putting you on. No, I know. On it's my like, Instagram, you're a big social media guy. So I always forget to do this. So yeah. I'm actually putting this on my Instagram story. That's so okay. That people know that you're actually here. Yeah. Here he is, Scott Walter. <laughs> here guys. I am. But, you know, I, I have to just back up for a second. Um, Please do. The other thing, you know, I the laboratory, I've, I've been doing this now for 35 years. This year will be the 35th year. And, uh, but I work for an engineering firm. And, um, my son's an engineer. He's right. actually a client, <laughs> which is kind oh of boy. strange. Yeah. But you're not going to get any special treatment. Yeah, you're still my son. I, I want to see that agreement. Is there any? Uh, is there any? Uh, it's a gentleman's agreement. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how gentle it is, but <laughs> right. anyway, um, I do work with engineers, and um, and and they work with us. So it's 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 really a, a neat relationship. To to uh, I I certainly wouldn't call myself an engineer, not by a long shot, but I know enough to be dangerous. And right. I think it works the other way for Grant. You know, when he's working with concrete materials, if if he needs to know something specific that most engineers wouldn't know, right? He has a source. Right. So do it's you, really fun. Do you, do you Grant know enough to be dangerous? <laughs> Yeah, about concrete. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's great. Just I by osmosis, if nothing else. Yeah, good. I'm just, I wanted to make sure you got a chance to talk because we know that your dad could go on forever. So Why I, would you I, say something like that? I appreciate that. I, I got to cue you every now and again so, <laughs> so that people actually know that you're here. <laughs> so, um, but how did, so, all right, so you're a forensic geologist. You told us a little bit about that. 
how did you get into this world of mysticism and, and these things that people, again, in, in this country we've been taught things and we just assume that that's fact. And we're um, a lot in modern times operating on false uh, facts, right? No uh, doubt, uh, no fake, doubt. Fake news. Fake right? news, if you will. <laughs> right. Um, so, but how did you get dragged into yeah. that, that world from being a, a geologist? Well, it, it was the Kensington Runestone, which is the, arguably the most uh, well-known mysterious historical artifact uh, in the world. Um, and it was found in Minnesota, where we live, and, and I was contacted back in July of 2000 uh, and they wanted me to study the Kensington runestone. And the person that approached me said this, like I knew what he was talking about and I did not know what he was talking about. And now in hindsight, looking back, I'm surprised that I didn't, I, I must've missed school that day or something. I don't know what it was, <laughs> but I didn't know what he was talking about. And they wanted me to do a forensic investigation to try to possibly tell them if there was a way we could age date the inscriptions from a weathering standpoint. Right. And, and the Kensington runestone was found in 1898 by a Swedish farmer uh, clearing trees in preparation for farming with his two oldest sons. And um, he found this stone tightly wrapped in the roots of a tree with a long inscription carved in Scandinavian runes and other symbols. And uh, for 100 years, well, 120 years now, they have been um, trying to solve and, and figure out what this thing is. And and the fact is, is the scholars can't figure it out. Right. So. So this is this part's very important, though. Um, as a forensic person, I look at the process of the investigations that they did, and it doesn't really matter if you're looking at a rock, or you're looking at concrete or steel, or even just a philosophical discussion. Um, there's a way to attack the problem. The process of investigation mm -hmm. is the same. Right. You gather evidence and facts. You interpret those facts, and then, if appropriate, you draw a conclusion. Right. And what I saw in the investigations of these scholars for over a century was a flawed process. And the bottom line is, is if you don't have enough evidence to draw a conclusion, which is really what, the, what it was for them, you just say that. You say, you know what? I can't draw a conclusion. I don't know. Right. That's okay. Right. But unfortunately, due to problems of the human condition to be politically correct um, they were unable to say that so the fallback was to make it go away and claim that it was a hoax right. and unfortunately that set a very uh, sad precedent because many scholars that came after them just refused or were afraid to uh, say well you know my predecessor probably didn't handle it the way he should have or he was wrong right they won't do that so they just stayed in line and said the same thing yeah because it's it's easier to call it a hoax than it is to go and go back and rewrite history right well i uh, think that's that's part of it but you know it doesn't matter i mean if you don't know you just say so and there's nothing wrong with that right it's 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 the appropriate but, thing to do but you touched on the human condition and yeah. that's what we talk about here on this podcast and all the stuff that i do look we're all flawed we're all trying to figure this out um, but in order to be our best, it's not an easy journey, right? We have to, at times, confront things that we wish weren't true and go, okay, well, given that that might be true now, how would this look, right? Like, for me, on a philosophical, I can't even say it, on a <laughs> philosophical level or a philosophical level, if you will, um, I always quote the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, he said that, you know, we should each act and do and say things as if all humanity depended on it. 
And if we all of us took responsibility on that level, then things would be quite a bit different. Um, I, I agree with you. I th- and, and some people might say, well, that's, a, that's an extreme position to take, but not really. It's more of, like you said, a philosophy than it is reality. Right. So you can choose your belief <clears throat> about that, right? Yeah. And so you can choose to believe that's true or not believe it's true. But my point is, if you choose to believe it's true, that affects the things that you do and say greatly. And you might choose much more wisely than you would if you're easily to dismiss, well, that's a bunch of BS. Right. I don't need to think like that. That's crap, right? Yeah. Right, Grant? You're, you're nodding your head. Once again, we're trying to get, <laughs> get to him to talk. Well, you know <laughs> but, what? But, but it's just like uh, what you said. It's easier to just say, well, this is a hoax right. yeah. instead of actually exploring. Well, what if it were true? And what would that mean to us as a society? What would that mean to our history and mm-hmm. where we came from mm-hmm. and what we're doing and, and, and all of that kind of stuff, right? Well, you know, the other thing about, you know, following the, the true path or, or, or saying things that you need to say even if you don't want to say them is um, people are listening and people um, – I'm in a position where <laughs> people think that I, you know, they 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 hang on my words. They they yeah. believe what I say and right. I take that responsibility very seriously and and quite frankly I have, you know, grants my son and I have a daughter Amanda and you know, I don't know how much they're they're paying attention in real life, but I, I hope they are paying attention. We have to set a good example, right? Right. Not just for uh, people out there, but for our children, our grandchildren. Yeah. And, you know, you got to you gotta walk the talk. Yeah, and I, I take that responsibility on too. I don't have kids, but I do have nieces and, nephew and, nieces and nephews. And I think that we're all responsible to set examples for kids. That's what my whole movement is about. Yeah. We need to work on ourselves and be the best that we can so that we can teach them that, hey, there's a way forward here together. It's not an easy way together because as you said people are nuts right well you didn't say that i put those words in well i'll say it we've all met people they can be very difficult Uh, right yeah Yeah. and well they would say the same about us i'm sure of of course because we can be very difficult too right but um you know this is why all of this stuff is important and why the history is important to find out what the reality is Uh, you know uh, there are a lot of people in the world that want to get to the their answer like they just want the evidence to support what they already think. And you can see that in the sports world, right? You're a, a Vikings fan. I'm a Patriots fan. So when their news breaks about the Patriots cheating, we each have a preconceived result that we're going to get. I know. You guys right? are cheaters. Yeah. Yeah, it's been well established. <laughs> right. But my point is, is this is what we do in society, yeah. right? We just go to the answer that we want instead of going, all right, well, let's. Let's actually have a discussion about this. Let's explore. Let's find out what the truth is. And I'm not talking about the Patriots now because that's a whole other subject and not nearly as important as the history (laughs) of where we've been and where we're going. And when we find artifacts, let's get to the truth. Even if that breaks down a lot of the things that we've built our lives around, wouldn't it be better to relate to each other based on the truth and and as we say in uh, masonry, govern yourself accordingly. Right, right, right. right. And, and Scott is a, a proud mason, a Scottish Rite mason. Um, and you York Rite, York Rite York Rite mason as well. And you were not one before you started doing this work, no. but a lot of your research kept going back to the masons and to the templars before that which is again why we're here talking about right. your book cryptic code of the templars right. in america well you know it, it's interesting you say that because i i when i first really started getting into the runestone 
the geology, uh, geological work we did initially proved to me that it was an authentic artifact, that the weathering was old, therefore it couldn't be a late 19th century hoax, therefore it had to be genuine. Well, at that point, once you say that, there are a bunch of other things that suddenly become fact, like right. if this thing is an authentic artifact, somebody carved it, they came from some place, and they came here for some reason. Now, those things are absolutely true. The question is, what are the answers to those questions? <laughs> right. Well, that's what the last you know, 18 years has been all about. And, and some people don't even want to ask those questions, which is why they just say it's a hoax, because it's so confronting to ask those questions. They have to rebuild their whole mental position about life and humanity and the history of this country. And well, that's not an easy thing to do, right? Well, but as a forensic person, I don't really go down those roads. I sure. know the job I have to do. And I, I just do it. And, you know, going back to the whole part about the rock, um, I trust rocks. Yeah. <laughs> rock. I, don't, I don't trust some people. Rock, rocks aren't full of shit. Unless no, they're, no, they're not. <laughs> unless it's calcified. Well, they're, right? full, of sh <laughs> they're full of schist in some cases. Hey That's a rock name. Great geology pun Thank there you very for, much. For I know. I'll be at Mystic that... Lake this weekend, both nights. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's uh, seriously, I mean, the rock spoke to me, and, and I, I listened to the rocks, I listened to the concrete. Um, it's the most objective witness that there is because it doesn't care. People, yeah. people care, and and like we said before, that human element enters into these things, sure. and that's when that's Can't when things go in the it. that's when things go in the ditch. Usually, yeah. you know, yeah, when humanity gets involved, things yeah. get messy. This is a messy game we're playing. Let, let me. I want to ask Grant a question because um, we don't usually have these types of philosophical discussions very often. But so you've been around this. Really, your whole life, pretty much. What was it like 2001? Was it 11? Uh, 2000 is when this started. So yeah. you were 10. 10 yeah. So, um, and I know a lot of Grant's friends. I, I, I coached them. I played basketball with them and, you know, sports. We played foot, flag football with us last year. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully just, this year, if you get us signed up again. Yeah. This is where, before we went on air, we were talking about how, just for people out there listening, how Scott played uh, semi pro football into, uh, until he was 40. Yeah. So uh, yeah. and uh, and live to tell <laughs> and, yeah, and still walking somewhat normally. Yeah, somewhat normally. Uh, so go Except ahead. That I, tech I, I have. Ask Grant your question. No, I yeah, just I just was curious. You know, I mean, do your friends ever talk to you about the Runestone, about this history, about some of the things that we do, or is uh, are they just tuned out to that? Or, or I'm just curious because you know when I was you know his age. I didn't think about these things. I didn't really care right. that much. It wasn't until this thing was really thrust into my face. Yeah. I had no choice but to pay attention to it. And then this fascinating world of history opened up to me. And I just wonder what your generation, what what is their take Please, on all this? Speak on behalf of your entire generation. Greg. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I do get some questions about it not really that much though most of them kind of they're aware you have a show they watch it sometimes but they really i don't know they they don't I'm dig into it not not as much no i i'm probably the most history oriented of all my friends what uh, i, I had, i'm glad you asked that question because i was going to ask you grant what did you think i mean because you were very young yeah and so you weren't you didn't have all this stuff that we as adults have that like this is all we've been told and this is the truth so you were still just an adventurous young kid yeah not knowing what's going on well, what did you think about all this when it started 
Well, or was it just normal to you because you didn't know any better? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was always used to him going on doing weird adventure stuff, but right. I, I thought Which it was really a cool. great, great yeah. thing for a dad to have, right? Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, I thought it was really cool, especially. Oh, I, I, I always liked the aspect. I've always kind of been a science nerd, but I like the aspect that you were taking this kind of controversial artifact and applying hard science to it, and it really didn't matter what the the opinions of these. Uh, these people were because you can I mean, say can he stuff. say a holes <laughs> yeah well yeah. 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 <laughs> pretty much but that's, that's pretty much what we, a lot of we are. try and keep this pg for the kids but All yeah right. we can th- we can drop a few in there the, ki- the kids swear more than us yeah <laughs> uh so go ahead grant oh yeah well i i i just even when i was a kid i admired that you know you were really bringing hard science into somewhere that it always should have been and it hasn't been before and uh, i really like that you're kind of Still doing that with other artifacts. It, it the biggest shock for me has been how little science archaeologists really do. <laughs> right, <laughs> that it's was been a disturbing. Shock. Boy, he opened the door on <laughs> yeah, that one. No, that was a good one. And let me—it's it, it, a great one. Let actually. me ask you yeah. a question, Scott. How dare you, sir? <laughs> how dare you bring science to a conversation? My like bad, this? coach. I'll do better <laughs> next time. <laughs> no, but I, and it's a great point by Grant, right? Because when I started to get to know you and David Brody and read your books and talk with you guys, I was stunned by how little science is being applied by archaeologists because, again, they're coming from a bunch of truths that they just assume are true and have been told about, and so all their answers have to filter back into that truth. Otherwise, they have to reevaluate their whole position on everything as a professional, well, then you and that's do not a comfortable place to be. Right, but this is the point, is that people, and this is where we get into the humanity of it, people are not comfortable doing that. What I've done in my career to go from a music business professional to this has been incredibly uncomfortable, incredibly challenging, and I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. However, I would recommend it for everybody because we should all go through that experience to make sure that we're ending up on the right path and doing the right thing. And the same thing goes for you. You didn't ask to be in this world. You sort of got dragged into it by coincidence. And neither yeah. of us believe in coincidences, so it wasn't. Well, that's It was true, meant yeah. to be, but... Um, you were just a forensic geologist and this thing came along and then it started opening up doors for you that were went, as David Brody says, who's a, a lawyer, you follow the evidence mm-hmm. and you build a case based on the evidence, which is what you do from a scientific perspective. Right. But then you started to see all this kind of weird esoteric stuff there and it makes you question things, <laughs> right? Yeah, it does. Um, I'd like to just go back to what Grant said for a second about these ar- these archaeologists and you know, I want to be fair because there are. Did some... you pay him to say that? To <laughs> no, tee, I did this up I, for I, you. <laughs> hey, hey, look, even a you know blind dog finds a bone <laughs> once in a while. Um, no, but but seriously, um, there are a lot of really good archaeologists out there, and it's not fair to pigeonhole them all into one group and and apply this criticism to all of them because it's not it's not fair. Yeah, we're speaking uh, in generalizations. Uh, uh, right. We are, but I do want to make sure that that you know we. You know, because I can imagine if there's archaeologists listening here, they're gonna they're gonna be upset with us. We've got a huge archaeologist following oh, on this sure. podcast. I was pretty sure that's why I'm saying this. Wow, ninety nine percent market penetration in the ar- yeah. archaeologist community. So listen up, guys. Yeah, but anyway, he's about to offend you. No, Go ahead. No, but but what I what what I find interesting is that you know archaeology is a humanities discipline. Yes, uh, geology, engineering. Um, our hard science disciplines, we are taught 
um, and it's and it's ingrained in everything that we do, proper scientific method. That is not the case in archaeology. But yet I hear a lot of archaeologists who are telling me that the Kensington runestone is a hoax. And I always say, well, okay, based on what? Where's your evidence? Right. And, you know, it's well, you know, it's always been known or so and so. And so, well, that's not evidence, you know. Right. But but again, you know, it's the scientific method. And I see that the process that they claim to follow is not what they're following. Yeah. And again, it's not all of them, but uh, sadly, it's it's too many of them. And unfortunately, it's it's many of them that are in powerful positions, right, right. that influence those that are coming up. And that's really the tragedy. And to, because, be, to be quite frank, though, what I would really like to see, and I'm more than willing to do it, is I want to get away from this name calling, this criticizing and going after each other and say, look, let's just put this stuff aside, okay? Yeah. Let's agree to disagree on a certain level. But how about if we get together and try working together? Because there are some things that I know that I may be able to help you with and vice versa. Correct. Because having us fighting doesn't get us anywhere. We need to come together. And having said that, the reason that the Kensington Runestone was solved, it wasn't by me working in a vacuum. It was working with two linguists who were working with me together, and we made some amazing discoveries. So the point is collaboration is 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 key, and, and well, it's we should do more of it. It's critical to the survival of humanity, right? Well, that's yeah, that's absolutely. what this podcast is all about, and so I'm glad that you brought it back to that because, you know, again, we talked a little bit off air and last night at dinner, beautiful dinner at Il Casale in Lexington, by the way. It we're here great. in Lexington, Massachusetts, about politics and the divisiveness and Again, with me, with this podcast, with this movement, it's all about we don't have to always agree. We're not going to always agree. We're, We're all gonna. different. But <clears throat> we have to learn to respect each other and talk with each other anyway so that we can learn from each other and that we can question things that might go, oh, you know what? I was firmly in disagreement with that. I might not agree now, but I understand a lot better where that person's coming from. Um, and something uh, re with respect to archaeology that I recently was told um, was that, you know, look around. How many archaeological digs have you seen near your home in the United States? But the answer for most people is none. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, well, there aren't any archaeological, but there's stuff here. So why aren't we exploring? Why aren't we looking for it? Uh, and you are, which is <laughs> why you're here talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, well, <clears throat> getting back to um, what you just said about, about divisiveness, about politics and all that, and I told you the story last night. Um, I've, been, I've been approached about running for office a couple of times, and I said I'd rather have my eyes poked out. <laughs> I, I think I can, I can make a, a difference in the world doing what I'm doing. But, Correct. Um, and then I had somebody on my Twitter feed ask me point blank, so, Scott, where do you fall on the political scale? And I said... Uh, I would like to keep my political leanings to myself. However, I will say that one of the things that I find are very important are scientific facts, truth, and honesty. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's not making a political statement. That's what I believe in. Right. And, you know, I think that should carry over in our politics, well, too. And unfortunately, <laughs> the political system, I get that question a lot, too. And I'm like, you're crazy. Not, not a chance. Because, like you said... I can help a lot more from here than I can from right. the political side because the political thing is just a zero-sum tug-of-war game. 
right? We're just fighting against each other. Right. And someone I recently heard said this, which is something I believe and I talk about a lot. We should learn to fight for things, not against things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We fight for the betterment of humanity. We fight right. for love to be a way that we all relate to each other, not hatred and divisiveness right. and all those things. We should stand for things instead of standing against each other. And that goes for geologists and archaeologists, right? <laughs> well, There's they, a common yeah. ground there. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's a lot of value in engaging in conversations about, hey, guys, let's not try and get to an answer that we've already predetermined. Right. Let's talk about this and follow the evidence and see where it leaves us. And 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 some, agree that whatever yeah. we find is what we find. Well, and, and it's going to be okay no matter what that is. <laughs> ex exactly. And you know what? Sometimes the answer isn't what you thought. Sometimes the answer isn't what you like. Right. But the data is the data. The results are the results. And you know the one thing about about human beings that I think is really cool is we're amazingly resilient. And no matter how bad the news is. Um, you know, you're shocked at first, you're disappointed, whatever the case may be, you're sad. But after a certain amount of time, you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off and you keep moving because you have to. Right. And so, um, well, again, because we've got future generations coming and we have some responsibility to leave this place in right. somewhat of a working order so that they can take it forward. God willing. How are we doing, Grant? <laughs> Uh, you got some work to do still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. <laughs> well, I know this much. Well, how, uh, however bad we screw it up and, uh, you know, all kidding aside, I, I, you know, we've all heard this, you and I, our generation, uh, boy, things, uh, you know, the kids today are not at all like, you know, things aren't like they were when we were kids. And, and it's a sort of a not so subtle way of denigrating the current generation or right. the new generations that's coming up. Right. And I take the opposite view because, um, I look at the young kids coming up. I, I look at my own kids. I look at their friends. I look, you know, and I pay attention to social me social media and I see what young people are doing. And I would say that they're in many ways better than our generation. They're certainly smarter. Sure. They're savvy. Um, they're, they're more, intelligent, more, more compassionate, empathetic. Well, just in many naturally. ways, yeah. in many ways, and I I think the future is good. I I still think that we need to. Um, you know, coach them up and, and nurture them like like absolutely like we should. But um, I think the future looks bright. I I don't think they're the, the young kids coming up are a mess. I think um, in many ways they're they're better than well, us. Well, again, that's why I do this. I got tired of hearing people saying we're you know we're really leaving things in bad shape for future generations, but they're not doing anything about it. They're just complaining about it. And so that's why I took on this challenge. We're like, oh, what if we did something? What if we learned to be better people so that we could teach them? They already intuitively know things like you just said that are better than us. We yeah. grew up in a world that was much more divisive in terms of racial uh, divisiveness and sexual orientation divisiveness. Mm -hmm. And they come up in a world that's naturally like, we don't really care what you, you know, right. what race you are, what your sexual orientation is, just, just be cool, right? And isn't that a great way to, yeah. a great place to start? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there is a lot of work to do, but that's the same about every generation. And things are never gonna be the way they were. This is a the world is constantly changing. This is a ridiculous place to come from when people say, well, it's not like it was when we were kids. No crap. <laughs> it's not going to be ever again. And maybe maybe what happens in the future, the changes that you see that you're fighting against. I mean, maybe the net result is it's going to be better than when you were. a kid. Exactly. I mean, again, that's why I do this. My point is that 
there might be a chance that one day this world actually lives in a harmonious place where we all get along and we help each other and we support each other. Now, to most people, they think, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. And you know what? That might be true. But shouldn't we try? Well, absolutely. <laughs> shouldn't we give it our best shot and, and hold our heads high at the end of our lives going, I did everything I could. To, to help move things forward. And again, that's where, well, let's bring it back to geology so we don't get too philosophical. I mean, that's what we do on this podcast. That's so all right. philosophy and esoteric stuff is always welcome here, but I do want to give the audience a little bit something different because we have that opportunity today. Uh, the Newport Tower is a very interesting um, structure right in Newport, Rhode Island that most people don't even know about, haven't considered where it came from, when it was built, how it was built. But as a geologist, again, you have some interesting uh, viewpoints on this because you've been there and seen it and seen some weird esoteric stuff happen around that thing, too. Right. Something different is going on there. Yeah. Well, uh, um, um, but before I yeah. do, before I hand that to you, let me just say that the um, Newport Tower in Newport, Rhode Island, on the winter solstice every year, the sun comes through this window and illuminates this keystone. And it's no accident that that happens on the winter solstice. This is a very important day, not just because it's your birthday, Scott. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. That's a, no. <laughs> and, and talk about no coincidence. This is a guy who ended up being sort of some, um, quote, air quoting, dragged into this world and then finds out that you were actually born on the winter solstice at the time of the illumination of the keystone. So that's an interesting thing. But from a geology standpoint, when you started with the Kensington runestone, that led you back to this Newport Tower and several other things. Um, but you talk a little bit about the tower and, and your experiences there and your thoughts about it. Well, the Newport Tower, I, I, I mean, every time I think about it, it's, 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 it's truly an amazing structure from, from many different vantage points. I mean, you know, Grant's a structural engineer and, and he, you know, you look at the Newport Tower's construction just as a building right. is incredible. Um, it's it, the footings on the eight columns go all the way down to bedrock, which a lot of people don't realize, but they were excavated back in the 1940s. There are photographs. So you can see this beautiful shoring um, with these rocks going all the way down to bedrock. So whoever built it, um, even if it was in the 1600s, which it wasn't, but I mean, that was amazing, um, a structural design. Yeah, let's let's pause you for one second yeah. and, and get Grant's professional opinion because many people have hypothesized that this was a windmill built in the 1600s yeah. by Puritans here. As an engineer, yeah. Grant, you've seen this structure. Yeah. Is there any way possibly that this could have been a windmill and still be standing? Well, it, if it's a windmill, they went way over the top. Why would they build a bunch of arched openings all the way around a windmill just build a wall that, right. that took a ton of work and effort to make all those arches it was it's a great point it's a bunch of architectural features that were difficult to make why would you do that if it's just an, a windmill right and then also that's a great point that we it, haven't I, heard i've never before, heard but that. i'm trying yeah. to lead you to an answer which i do know which is structurally is that my son talking <laughs> yeah. structurally could it actually even exist as a windmill if you put a big fan on that thing would it still be standing as an engineer in uh, your maybe i mean like you said the foundations go all the way down to bedrock it's pretty sturdy i mean it I don't know. I'm not a windmill engineer. <laughs> well, I've talked. I've talked to to structural engineers who know something about windmills. And actually, about this is probably oh god, it must be seven or eight years ago. I gave a uh, I was giving a technical lecture to a group of structural engineers, 
And uh, right the night before, I just said, I'm going to I'm just going to do something. And what I did was I threw in a picture before even the title slide of my presentation. Before that, I put a slide of the Newport Tower and I said, um, you know, my name is Scott Walter. And I said, hey, before I get into my technical talk, please indulge me for a second. I would just like your opinion. And I flashed up a picture of the tower and I said, I would like your professional opinion structurally. Could this building here serve as a windmill? And after I said that, there was a collective sort of uncomfortable chuckle in the crowd. They're like, (laughs) (laughs) like, that's ridiculous. And I said, oh, um, tell me why. And, you know, I, I heard things like, well, you know, the lateral forces are going to be moving like this. And the way that's designed, it just over time, it just would tear itself apart. That's yeah. true. It doesn't have much lateral resistance. And because of those arches, there's no right. sheer, there's no lateral resistance to it. There's no give. There's no shear walls, basically. Sure, yeah. Right. And, right. and you know, it's like you said, and I hadn't thought of that before. Why would you go to all this architectural pretty looking stuff and when your 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 main focus is structural yeah the second thing is what is a windmill doing right. with an with a fireplace right you're right. going to have these grain husks flying all over and my, my god you, you can't have a, a fireplace in a windmill it'll explode well exactly <laughs> i mean it would literally explode i mean and then also <clears throat> how are you building a windmill with the native american population in that area at that time yeah. probably not happening well actually that's it would be the opposite that we now know that they shared the Templars shared a compatible ideology with them. Right. Uh, Which is how they were able to build such a complex structure in a place that was owned and run by Native Americans. It was it was their territory. And, and, And we've talked to some of the indigenous people in that area and they've. Even today, you know, Chief Black Eagle says, look, Prince Henry Sinclair and the Templars, when they came to her, is who built it. And he, he says they aligned with them. They became their blood brothers. Right. And so you're right. They wouldn't even be able to set foot on the land unless they were given access and permission. Right. So let alone build something that well, would take exactly. that long to build with the complexities that it well, has if, that if, we still don't really understand. Well, if you're going <laughs> to build something of that permanence, right, it's part of a settlement. And if you're going to build a settlement, the indigenous people are, are going to have to let you. And so there had to have been an understanding. And we know that there was. So there's a there's a whole new world of history here that hasn't even been thought about, right. let alone understood, that needs to be looked at. And what's the geological evidence that you found there? Well, there's all kinds of geology. I mean, the the uh, the, the, the tower is built primarily with glacial erratic uh, you know, cobbles and, and, and boulders. There's also uh, slate bedrock there. Um, so you see kind of a mix of geology that's there. But you also see a lot of interesting anomalies in the tower if you know what to look for. Specifically in the south column, there is a large uh, cobble about a foot, almost a foot long, eight inches thick or so, maybe uh, six inches tall uh, of a stone called Cumberlandite, which is the state stone of Rhode Island. And and it's magnetic. It contains up to about 40, 40% magnetite. So it's strongly, I mean, a magnet will just uh, stick right to it. It's like a meteorite almost. And And is that stone natural to that area? Well, it is uh, as a glacial erratic, but the bedrock source is north of Narragansett Bay, up up in a place called Cumberland, Rhode Island, and not coincidentally, 
there is a Cistercian monastery there. It's huh. uh, uh, It was built back in the late 1800s, I believe, and I think they came down from Nova Scotia originally. Uh, the monks that were up there and, and built this monastery here. We might have to check on that. But there is a quarry that was used to mine Cumberland right there to make um, iron. It was actually um, a, a highly brittle form of iron early on when they mined that area. But that's where the Cistercian Monastery is, and that's where the stone occurs. And it's found yeah. in the Newport Tower in the South Column. Strongly magnetic, about four feet off the ground, which begs the question, was that put there intentionally, or was it just one of the boulders they happened to grab? I don't believe that. Again, I right. don't think it was a coincidence. So <clears throat> that's an interesting geological anomaly. Another geological anomaly is if you look on the southwest, about halfway up the round cylinder part of the tower, the second story on the outside is a large glacial, pure white quartz cobble. Mm. And what's interesting is if you draw a line from the center of the tower through that white cobble and you extend it into space, it goes to Poverty Point. Do you know where Poverty Point is? I do, I do not. That is, that is down in Louisiana where the Mississippi River hits the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, wow. And that was a huge ancient indigenous site uh, that some a lot of archaeology has been done on. They don't fully understand it. They know that it's quite old, going back at least four or 5,000 years, probably uh, much older, maybe even as much as ten to 12,000 years old. And it was a center of trade. So wow. um, is that a coincidence that it points there? Is it right. a coincidence that that egg-shaped keystone that you were talking about on the inside that illuminates, well, it's actually starting to illuminate right now because it's right. only a couple of days before the solstice. But the south window creates a light box that illuminates that on the winter solstice. In the new book, we talk about another illumination event that happens in the tower on May 1st. Yeah, which is an ancient Celtic holiday called Beltane. Mm. Um, it's, you know, new life in the spring, right? right? And so the east window at 9 o'clock in the morning does the same thing. Wow. This was newly discovered in the past year wow. by a group of researchers in Rhode Island, uh, Pat Shackleton, Matt Adams, and some other people. And what I love about this is I can remember when we first discovered that illumination along with Jim Egan in, um, in Newport, uh, that was in 2007. I to I said then, you know what? If somebody would pay attention to this tower throughout the year, they're going to find more things. No yeah. question about. It. We live in Minnesota. I would have done it myself, but I just wasn't here. Right. And uh, Pat and Matt took up that mantle, and they have found some other amazing things in addition to this Beltane alignment. So the complexities, the astronomical alignments that happen in the Newport Tower. Um, in my mind, it's insulting to call it a windmill. Right. Yeah, well, also, I mean, what I've realized through this process is how important the winter solstice is, right? This is basically Christmas and New Year's all wrapped into right. one. That's yeah. the, to me, now that's the real holiday. And talk about people that want to get to the answer that they already have of, all oh, Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, but it's most likely he wasn't actually born in December. No, so why is born it, in the spring. <laughs> so why is it? Why is Christmas celebrated then? Well, we now know because, and this is not a disputed fact, really, for anybody who does any research, that the church put it at that time because the old pagan religions, the ancient religions, celebrated the winter solstice as 
the shortest day of the year. The, a new birth, a new beginning, a new year is starting now. The sun has hit its lowest point in the sky. Right. And now we start growing again, right? Um, so just an ancient, uh, 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 an interesting philosophical thing to explore. And again, to go, hey, why do we celebrate these things? So now, uh, for me, Christmas and New Year's, I don't really get a, nearly as excited as I used to do. The winter solstice is sort of my holiday. I'm with you on that one, brother, <laughs> right. for sure. Right. So, But there's a, mm-hmm. another interesting geological thing that you got, a, a stone that had some carving with some letters in it that it can only be see at low t- seen at low tide. Oh, the Nar- Inhoc, Inhoc stone. Yeah. Talk, talk about that. Yeah. Well, um, it first came to my attention about 2009. Uh, and I keep forgetting her name. Forgive me. Um, I'll think of it. But anyway, it was a woman who uh, really rediscovered it because it was known prior to that by people that lived right there in, f- in front of the beach. Right. Uh, uh, Carol. Um, oh, God, I'm drawing a blank now, too. I just I'll, I'll think. All of right. It. Carol, we apologize. I know. We'll, I feel we'll bad. These ladies have done such good work. I can't remember all their names. But anyway. Um, just blame it on me because we do no research on this podcast. I know. I'm just I'm, you have to for your job, not for me. I'm just a stand-up philosopher. I don't have to do any <laughs> research. I just come up with philosophical opinions. Yeah, <laughs> but well, so this rock, well, well, what, what is it? And what? It's actually it's not a boulder like uh, some of these others. It's actually this inscription is carved in Latin into the bedrock. Right, and um, there's a seawall that's built there now. But I think in the past, prior to the seawall. The sand is now built up, and the beach is, is, is I think the sand is, is at a higher level now because of the seawall that was built right behind it. So what does it say, and but, what does it mean? Yeah, but back in the time, it probably was exposed all the time. But what it says in Latin is in hoc signo vinces. And basically, in, in English, that means in this sign, thou shalt conquer, which not coincidentally was the uh, battle cry um in ancient times and going all the way up to today of the Knights Templar. I right. mean, in masonry, it's a very important saying, as you know. Sure. And I just showed you a photo last night of the most simple, my favorite church in Italy when I was there this summer it was the Chiesa di San Francesco in Cortona. Very simple church. And you feel this positive energy of what Christianity, you know, really meant, meant and means. And this is what the Templars, why they battled with the church, because they didn't believe in dogma. They believed in the actual spiritual part of it. Right, right. right. But right at the altar of St. Francis's Church, you have that exact same saying. Yeah, yeah. Where, where there's a tunic that he wore 800 years ago sitting in that church. So what is this stuff, if they battled so much, what is this stuff doing in the churches? Yeah. Well, I think it's... And I know that's a whole other conversation. We don't have to go into all of it. I think I know why they I'm just posing that question for people out there to think about that. Yeah. Well, the question is, what is it doing here in in Newport, Rhode Island, probably about a mile as the crow flies, if that, from the Newport Tower? And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do was to try to get a sense of how old is this thing? What does the weathering tell us? And, And... could this date back to the time of the Newport Tower, which I believe was probably built uh, around 1400, if not before? And so could there be a connection between these two? And after looking at the weathering, uh, my conclusion is, yes, there certainly could be. But there's something else about the Inhoc Stone that may seem uh, unimportant to most people, but to somebody who's initiated, like yourself, the fact that the first line, Inhoc Signo, and Vinci's is a two to one ratio as far as their exact lengths. <laughs> right. And the spacing between the words is not even. 
and it almost looks like the carver was, you know, making sure the spacing would work out to that two to one ratio yeah. or something that we call an oblong square in masonry. Right. You might remember that, brother. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so very so interesting are, because Templars didn't do anything by accident. There was never, codes and everything. Exactly. They really believed in, in, in geometry and mathematics and arithmetic. Absolutely. And, and they built things. And the tower, I think you've found out has some interesting mathematical and arithmetic ratios in the way that it was built as well um so all that's very interesting and we're you know we're getting in towards the end of this now because i know we could sit here and talk forever (laughs) i like to talk you like to talk where grant likes to talk when we let him um oh he likes to talk (laughs) i can i can tell you that (laughs) but you know let's get to the meat of this what the heck were the templars doing here if they were here before columbus what were they doing here? And I'm going to lead you a little bit with that question so we get to what you believe. I've read a lot of stuff from you and David Brody and other people. It seems to me that the Templars were these Christian knights who really believed in the actual, again, the spirituality of Christianity, not the church dogma. And the whole reason this country was founded on the separation of church and state um, was about the new world that they believed in and that this was settled, uh, might have been settled by Templars to actually build a world of equality and where everybody had an equal chance to participate in society. And then that's what the new world of the Templars and the, and the Freemasons is, is. It's about that, not about taking over power, giving power to the people and giving power to the spirit of God, <clears throat> right? Um, so th- this is some things that I've learned over time and have built my belief system. What do you think they were doing here? Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. I think it's in, in in my view, there's no question what happened, and I think it can be boiled down to a couple of interesting facts that are inescapable. And one of those is, you know, who suffered from the persecution of the tyranny of the monarchs of Europe? Um, I would point to um, uh, Philip the Fair, the King of France, who persecuted the Knights Templar. Right. Who suffered from the the persecution, literally, uh, physically and spiritually, from the Roman Catholic Church? Templars again, right? And so why wouldn't they have turned their attention to a place that I know that um, their tradition already knew about? Mm -hmm. They knew about the people that were here that embraced a similar ideology, the indigenous people who are uh, matriarchal. By design right. in their uh, in their ideology right. and the true ideology of the Templars, which was one of the things that I was discovered with the help of uh, researchers like Alan Butler in in England, is that that was the true ideology, the Christianity you're talking about, not Roman Christianity, but uh, that was the essence of their ideology, and so there they turned their attention to establishing a new sanctuary. Uh, what they called a free Templar state, some people call the New Jerusalem right. of North America, where they would be able to live free from the tyranny of the monarchs of Europe, free from the persecution of re- any religion, really. Right. And, you know, look at the tenets of our Constitution. They sound awful familiar, don't they? Right. And so that is exactly um, what it was all about. And I think it's really important now 
And I'm glad you're, you're bringing this up because now more than ever with the divisiveness that we have going on in this country right now, and again, I don't want to get into politics, but what I hear people talking about every day is the Constitution, right? Right. Do people in this country realize that the Constitution is a Masonic document? No. No, they don't. And nor nor do they. Re- most people that talk about that don't even really don't know even what's in read it. it. But I think have never even actually read the whole thing. But they want to protect it. All well, right, maybe yeah. you should read it. Well, maybe you should you should understand, <laughs> truly understand what it is you want to protect. And that's one of the things that I I hope that the the, the cryptic code and the research that we're doing is going to uh, illuminate, if you will, is hey, listen, people, do you really know? what the principles were upon which this nation was founded. And if you don't, it's time that we got re-educated and maybe everybody on both sides of the aisle will take a step back and really understand and appreciate what's really going on here. What these founding fathers really intended that we brag about and lionize every day. Do you really understand what they were about? I don't know if they do. And I think that's that's up to people like you and me to help help them really understand. Yeah. I yeah. think. Right, right. Well, I, I obviously I, I completely agree. I've talked on the podcast about what I think the value of masonry. And by the way, for those who don't know, there are many who believe, and we're not saying this because we're masons and we know. We've done our own research. Many people believe that when the Templars were wiped out in the 14th century on October 13th, Friday the 13th, which is when Friday the 13th became a bad thing, right. they were wiped out by the King of France and the Roman Catholic Church that they later re- they went underground they were not wiped out completely that's why oh. their treasure disappeared heck no <laughs> and they uh, resurfaced and in modern times that's why people say Freemasonry was started in what is it 1733 or something 1717 like. and 17. that's that's BS right it's much in my opinion and I don't know this from being a Mason I think it's much more ancient than that and goes all the way back to Egypt I know that for a fact yeah. which, and, and beyond which and many beyond. people believe also talking about Catholicism and Christianity many people People believe that, you know, Jesus was raised in Egypt. Uh, many people believe he was initiated in the ancient mystery schools of Egypt, and this is why he no started. No question about it. Why he started Christianity as a moving forward. Um, if you read the Edgar Casey book, There is a River, he uh, went under trance um, and was able to heal people or diagnose them medically, although he had no medical training. He had two, thousands of cases of this and was never wrong, not once. But one guy paid him to ask him all the big questions about humanity and philosophy and where we come from and why we're why uh, why we're here. Um, and one of the really important things that that came from that was that uh, we're uh, sorry I'm spacing on where I was going because Julie just walked out and handed me a note. So I got it says she's taking a bathroom we're break. About I, Edgar Casey and I, the I, big questions. Yeah, um, and I forget where I was tying this back to. Um, the Templars and, and, and humanity of where we're going, but I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, let's let's skip that and, and switch gears because we do only have a few more minutes. You've got a full schedule here. We could talk about this for hours, but, you know, why are you doing this work? What's, why is it important? Why should people be learning about the Templars or, or anything that, uh, that we find here in the U.S. That, that might question where we came from based on what we've been taught? What, what's, what's the importance of it? Well, I mean, there's 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 a lot of reasons why I I, I do these things. I, I do it because I enjoy it for one thing. I, I I think it's I think it's important, 
And um, I'm the type of person, you know, because of my training and the work that I do as a forensic person, what I'm trying to do is take an unknown, figure out what it is, and, and sort of make things right, right? Yeah. So if, if, if somebody screwed up, um, and cause the concrete to have low strength or, or crack, then you should take responsibility for that, right? Sure. And I think the same thing applies with this historical um, story that we're trying to get straight. And it's just sort of something that I've, I, 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 if I have a chance or an opportunity to, to fix something or make it better, I feel it's my obligation to do that. But beyond that, I, I really feel like because I, um, for whatever reason, I'm in this, position where um, people listen to what I say. I think a lot of people uh, trust me and, and believe in the work that we're doing. And I think that's a that's a big responsibility and I take it very seriously and I I want to try to get it right. And I feel that's my, my job and my responsibility. And one other thing I will say that's kind of funny. Um, several years ago, I was um, on a, on a uh, I won't go into the details, but I was on a, a reservation and I was with uh, a person who gave me a, uh, a Cherokee name. I was on a Cherokee. <laughs> and and the name they gave me was Wasi Iqua. And Wasi Iqua is um, actually Hebrew and it means Big Moses, Big Messenger, or as my wife Janet likes to say, Grant's mom, Big Mouth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 on a serious level, this happened kind of before the shows took off, and it was sort of a almost like a prophecy. And man, I I I I take that seriously, and I I've never forgotten it. And for some reason, it, when you have an opportunity to be part of something that's bigger than yourself, you can either walk away from it or or accept that and and try to do the best you can. And that's what I'm doing. And it's, right. that's, that's all it is. And eventually I'm going to go away and someone else is going to step up and, and take the baton, but I'm going to run with it as far and as fast as I can and, and do the best I can. And that's it. Yeah. Um, well, it's very noble work. Uh, it also it makes you wonder why uh, the Native Americans gave you a Hebrew name. We won't go into that because that's a whole other long conversation, right? I, I, I'm not saying right. that he was speaking for everybody in the <laughs> right. tribe, but that's, right, but it's interesting that's what he that, said. It's interesting because <laughs> yeah. many believe that ancient Jews were here long before Columbus as well. And, that's another and discussion. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> we'll do that on another episode. But um, I appreciate that you've taken this on because, again, for me, we've got to find a way forward together. There's no, there's no us and them. There's only us. And that's why, again, I love Freemasonry because despite all our differences, when we go to a meeting and meet in Lodge, we meet on the level. Absolutely. We're all the same. Despite <clears throat> our differences, we're all human beings. We're all here to help each other and do our best. And like you said, we're obligated to bring our best to society and move things forward mm -hmm. for future generations and to create you know, that utopian world that our founding fathers uh, Hope, hoped for, hoped for, and we're, we've we've been led astray. Uh, again, a lot of that goes does go back to politics because we're not gov supposed to be government for the people by the people, and the, the fact is we're not doing our job uh, and holding the people in office accountable to serve our interests instead of their own. That's where everything falls off the rails, right? And again, that's a much longer discussion. Uh, Grant, before we go, yeah, um, I want to give you a chance to. Talk about anything about this that you want to talk about. It's a good opportunity. You can tell everybody how proud you are of your father. You no, can, don't put him on the <laughs> spot. You can tell the story about how you guys used to box, and he 
then you got busted because he made your nose bleed. Yeah, and, well, he busted me plenty of times. Yeah, it wasn't a one-way street. I was wondering if I should sit between <clears throat> you guys today to make sure that there was no punches thrown, but you both behaved, and I'm very proud of you. No. Janet, if you're listening out there, not my mom, Janet. Grant, your mom, Janet. Um, uh, we've all behaved here. Everybody's in one piece, uh, so we're, we're good there. But, you know, any, any sort of not necessarily final closing remarks, but anything you want to add to the conversations so that uh, Scott and I will shut up for a few seconds <laughs> and let you talk about what you think about all this stuff. Well, I, I am proud of the work he's doing. And it, 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 like I said earlier, it's mostly that you, you're really bringing hard science into a lot of places where politics and other things have gotten in the, the way of really finding the truth. And I think that not just archaeology, but a lot of places could use more hard science and less, you know, opinions and bickering. Amen. And right. that's, uh, I, I think... Bringing more of that into the world is always a good thing. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I he yeah. think he hit the nail on the head. And, you know, it's like everything else in life, you have to find a balance, right? And right. and I'm not saying that, you know, these other aspects of, of whatever it is that you're talking about are not important, that science supposedly trumps all. I don't, I don't believe that either. I think you have to find a balance. And, you know, let everybody's evidence be considered and then let the chips fall where they may. But you absolutely must have that scientific component in there when you can, because sometimes there isn't a lot that you can do. Sometimes it's all you need to answer the question. Right. And every every situation is different. But I think, uh, you know, Grant makes a good point. That is really, really important to make sure the science is there if appropriate. But you also need to give the other uh, entities an opportunity to weigh in because they may have something that you didn't consider that could be a tipping point that leads you to the truth. Right. Well, that again, that goes <clears throat> back to what the whole point of this podcast and my whole philosophy movement is about is we need to learn how to talk to each other again. We don't have to always agree. We're not going to always agree. Right. But if we <clears throat> talk to each other, we learn and we grow and we understand things that we maybe didn't understand before. And that's really what, if you really believe in the Constitution, you really believe in the dream of this country, that's what it's about. We have to do it together. United we stand, divided we fall. Right that's on. not, yeah. those aren't just idle words. That's a real thing. So we're either in this together or we're all screwed. Yeah. And that means archeologists and geologists unite. Right? Okay, so you know what? <laughs> on that note, bring it in, guys. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, so All for one, right? All for one. One, two, three. <laughs> uh, so before we go, I got some, uh, because we're doing this all at once, I'm not going to record after. Please plug your website, your books, anything oh, sure. you want to talk about. Um, you're doing a talk tonight at Simon W. Robinson Lodge. This won't be out before that, so it's pointless to plug that. But uh, okay. you do talks all over the place. Anything sure. coming up that you want to talk about? Well, How can I, people yeah. find out more about you and your your work. Okay. Um, yeah, I do have, um, well, I've got something really fun coming up in uh, February 7th through the 9th. It's something called the Conscious Conscious Life Expo, which will be at LAX Airport. There's a conference center there. Yep. And uh, that should, should be uh, a big event. Jimmy uh, Church uh, invited me to that, and he, uh, he uh, is one of the... Uh, podcasters on uh coast to coast radio and i've been in and on darkness radio he's uh 
No, Fade to Black. That's Jimmy. Sorry, Jimmy. It's Fade to Black. But anyway, he's the one that invited me to that conference. I'm looking forward to that. I'll be speaking there, selling books. My new book is Cryptic Code of the Templars in America. You can buy it. Um, you know, you can certainly go to Amazon. But if you want signed copies, go to our website, which is www.hookedx.com, H-O-O-K-E-D-X.com. And uh, every book bought off there, I sign and I'll personalize for you. Yeah. And uh, I do have a uh, a uh, a blog. It's uh, scottwalteranswers.blogspot.com. I've had okay. that up for about seven or eight years now, and there's some really really good stuff there. A lot of times, if I'll uh, I do some research and we have an interesting discovery, maybe a document or a new um, artifact or inscription or site, I'll post pictures and I'll talk about it and then people have a chance to ask me questions and and uh, and it gets pretty uh, pretty interesting on there you'll have to check that out and then you know we have the lecture tonight and um, yeah. what about the TV show yeah watch the show oh that's right yeah I've got <laughs> a TV this, show this I little, about little that. matter of a TV show I was getting there <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, we have. Uh, that's our, why you brought Grant along. Yeah, yeah watch, watch my episodes, yeah, especially. <laughs> yeah, those those ratings weren't too good. But anyway, <laughs> no, we uh, unrelated, completely unrelated. <laughs> well, we yeah, obviously we have uh, America Unearth is the show that I've I've been hosting for uh, about seven years now. We did three seasons from 2012 to 2015. 39 episodes on H2, which is, uh, then went to History Channel. Uh, and then uh, we were off for three years. Uh, the show was never canceled. It was they sold the oh. the, the channel. H two was sold to Viceland, right. right. so we lost our home. Right. And it was doing great. Number one show. Gradings were great. And I, I what I what I'm really proud of is I think that you know it was a it was a different kind of show, right? And and we did yeah. these um, uh, investigations uh, from a scientific standpoint. And I think it really resonated with people. Of course, it was produced very well by committee films. And, um, you know, I think I did enough to, to, you know, keep it from being canceled. But I think we tapped into something that that fascinated people. And then it came back. And we've been on Travel Channel here this past year in 2019. And we did 10 more episodes. And um, But unfortunately, Travel Channel has decided to go 100% paranormal so now Science Channel is considering <laughs> us. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I will say, even if America on Earth doesn't come back, I'm, I'm happy and proud for the run that we had. You know, f- almost 50 episodes, 49 episodes is a pretty good run. But these are still all, all these episodes are available on demand. Yeah, and if, you can. You if can, you speak into your TV remote or yeah, your Alexa or whatever robot you have in your house and, and you just say America on Earth, this will come up and you can right. find out where to watch. And it. there's this thing called the Internet, you know. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's Tell us all, about that. All kinds of, well, <laughs> it's a magical place where anything can happen. But yeah. um, some of so, it not so great. Well, some of it not so great. <laughs> but anyway, going forward, uh, America, America on Earth could come back. I don't know. But if not, I think um, we have some other uh, opportunities that will present themselves. So yeah. stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Follow him. Uh, what are your social media um, pages for people to follow you on Instagram, Facebook? Oh, yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I pay pretty close attention to Twitter. 
uh, Instagram Ooh. kind of Facebook. I have some people that help me over there, but I get the messages and if people, I always chime in. So Great. I do my best to get back to people because they take the time you know, to reach out, the least I can do is respond. Yeah, great. Well, um, thanks again for being here. I'm going to read my production notes now. Thanks to our guests, Scott and Grant Walter. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for, for having us. Thank you for not punching each other while you're here. <laughs> We're talking about unity. Uh, thanks to our lovely producer, Julie Manugian. She was awesome. Some technical difficulties. And, of course, the podcast studio, courtesy of Lex Media here in Lexington, Massachusetts. For any Lexington residents or members of an organization in Lexington, pay attention. This is a great space. You can actually come and use this. It's a community space. Record podcasts. You do make TV shows, uh, radio shows, whatever you want to do. There's a great resource here, so check it out. The theme song uh, is Surf by Captain Blackheart, my good friends Dino and Irwin. Thanks for letting me use that song, guys. I love uh, how it fits into all of this. You can find out more about me and Zilosophy at zilosophy.org, which is spelled like philosophy but with a Z. Uh, and you can email me with any questions or comments or suggested topics at info at philosophy.org. Uh, we're also looking for sponsors for the podcast and for other things that we do. So if you're interested, you like these type of conversations, you want to attach your brand to it, uh, hit me up at info at philosophy.org. It is the holiday season, so Zilosophy on Golf is available on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Of course, you can also get your copy of cryptic code of the templars in america there as well um and i think that's enough for today don't you julie yeah she says yes scott and grant thank you very much thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll talk to you again soon thank you <laughs>